0: Hello, and welcome to Climate Fix Podcast. Here, we dive into evidence-based solutions to climate change and various other pressing environmental issues. This podcast is created by Americans for Nuclear Energy, a pro-nuclear environmental organization. We take no money from industry or special interest groups. All donations are from individuals like you, interested in a grassroots scientific movement to solve the world's most pressing scientific problem, global climate change. We hope you approach these ideas with humanism and an open mind. Our mission statement is as follows. Nuclear energy is safe, cheap, plentiful, clean, and efficient. It has the capability to stop and reverse climate change while addressing the ever-growing demand for electricity globally. We strive to educate American citizens about this technology and to dispel misconceptions with facts. We firmly believe that both human civilization and industrialism can easily coexist with a healthy environment. Join us in helping to plan a prescription for a feverish planet, or as we like to say, a climate fix. This is your host, Phil Ord. And this is your co-host, Colby Kirk.
1: The name of this episode is Ecomodernism, Join the Movement. We are excited to have our friend Gabriel Ignetti on the show to chat about the environmental school of thought called Ecomodernism and his new organization, Ecomodernist Society of North America. Ecomodernism is a philosophy that reconciles human development with a thriving natural world. It focuses on evidence-based technologies and policies that encourage decoupling mankind from the natural world, giving it room to rewild. One of the main ideas of Ecomodernism is densification, meaning using land and resources as efficiently as possible with minimal encroachment on wild spaces. Thus, Ecomodernists focus on and support things like nuclear power, GMOs, industrial agriculture, synthetic meat, material recycling, high-density housing, and desalination. Such technologies make humans less dependent on nature.
0: Here's a bit about Gabe. Gabe is a lifelong political activist. Chair of the newly founded Eco Modernist Society of North America and creator of the Eco Modernist podcast. Gabe grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and is a retired public school teacher now living in Miami. He has served as vice president at large for the Central Labor Council of the U.S. Virgin Islands. His focus since retiring has been environmental issues, with a big passion for nuclear power. One of his biggest concerns is the looming climate crisis and is currently on the board of 350.org, South Florida.
1: I have been friends with Gabe for quite some time now, almost since the beginning of my journey as a pro-nuclear environmental activist in 2014. I helped him launch his first few episodes of his Ecomodernist podcast, which I urge listeners to check out, as he has some amazing guests. Gabe is one of the most passionate environmentalists I've ever met, and truly cares about the planet and its future inhabitants. He is also a tireless advocate for many noble progressive causes and is not afraid to rustle feathers in his own circles. He is also a warrior of scientific truth and an ardent defender of inquiry and evidence.
0: That's awesome. He is a valuable voice in bringing skepticism to challenge the old ways of thinking within the traditional environmental movement. We need a lot more people talking about and advocating for this updated school of thought we call eco-modernism. I remember reading about ecomodernism when I was looking for a pro-science version of environmentalism, because so many dominant ideas in the environmental movement seem to go against the actual science in what is beneficial for both the people and the planet, GMOs and nuclear energy to name a few. I'm glad we are able to meet with Gabe, who is spearheading the presence of ecomodernism in North America. We often hear from climate activists and environmental pundits that we are not doing enough for climate change and that we need radical change in how we tackle the emissions problem. Ecomodernism, especially the support for nuclear power, brings radical change to the dominant narrative of environmentalism, which could actually yield achievable results.
1: I couldn't agree more. We are in desperate need of an evidence-based paradigm shift, and I think Ecomodernism really tries to base itself on good science and data. This is why I, as someone who studied science in college, am so drawn to the philosophy. Also, the humanist nature of ecomoronism makes me feel less distressed and negative when it comes to human civilization and its effect on the environment. This is a great movement to which Gabe has dedicated his time.
0: For sure. All right, then. Here's our discussion with Gabriel Ignetti. Welcome, Gabe. Thanks for coming on the show. Well,
2: thanks a lot for having me on, guys.
1: For sure. Well, to start off, let's uh, talk about what what is eco modernism.
2: Well, eco modernism is best described as being a fusion of modernity and ecology, and it's not an artificial in, uh, thing either, because they actually go together, and it is basically a philosophy that says that that energy density and density of people as well is the best way to save nature. And of course, the most energy-dense way of producing energy is nuclear power, as we know. And the most dense way for people to be together is in cities, in high-rise buildings, which is counter to to the mainstream environmentalist trope, which says that, like, Nuclear power is bad. And many environmentalists, you know, they even take a a hissy fit about tall buildings. And sometimes it's a good concern if you don't have uh, any provisions made for mass transit. So I think that's a a good qualifier. But I'd also like to say that eco-modernism is based on an eco-modernist manifesto, which a lot of people confused because when people see manifestos and read manifestos, it's like, this is how it is. So it was purposely used that that and was perfect, was purposely used so as to make it open ended. And to me, I see there's two ways of interpreting it. One is how you interpret modernity. I mean, do you interpret modernity as being the status quo or do you interpret modernity as being a process to get us to a better future that can be very critical of the status quo? So I don't see personally eco-modernism to me as being a way of defending the status quo. It is a way to demand change. It is a way to connect with environmentalists, to me. And I, I've collaborated this with the European eco modernists. I've been in touch with them, and uh, they have the same. They, they are in demonstrations with uh, what is it? Uh, Extinction Rebellion. They were telling me, you know, they've uh, they've worked together. They uh, worked with the in the case of Finland. They worked with the Finnish Greens, who's actually, I I don't think they're pro nuclear, but I don't they're not anti nuclear. They're kind of an open tent, which is actually the way you know the environmentalist movement should be, you know, right. but is not. So, I see it as also an opportunity to build coalitions with other people in the sciences because. I know this is a podcast that's focused a lot on the climate and on nuclear power, but what's going on in nuclear is a part of a war on science that's gone back for centuries. And people fear modernity, always have. They fear change. Uh, and But change is not something that will end. I mean, you can't go back into an idyllic past. You can't you know, just say, let's have the growth and, and expect people to follow you unless you're going to go with uh, some kind of totalitarian state, which I don't even think people are even thinking of doing. I mean, you know, these, these ideas in the environmental movement are just not well thought out. Is basically what what it is, and, and based, for people, oh, yeah, I was going to say,
1: uh, let's uh, just like bring out a definition here. So, Wikipedia says, eco modernism is environmental policy which argues that humans should perfect nature and improve on human well being by developing technologies that decouple human development from environmental impacts. Uh, they yeah. focus on things like you know they they're very technological in how to fix problems with things like. Nuclear power, precision agriculture, genetically modified foods, desalination, recycling, and dense urban living. Uh, Yes. And so it's like, it's densification that helps us avoid uh, intruding too much on nature. So, and uh, how would you say that that is different from the mainstream environmental movement?
2: Well, the mainstream environmental movement goes back to the 60s really it was a time um, of great upheaval it was the vietnam war and like before that happened the um people were trusting of institutions very much overly so but it went to the other extreme so there was uh you know a, a a reaction against uh you know, uh, centralized institutions. Uh, there was a back to nature movement, which was a rebellion against uh, the uh, technological state that people were living in. And what happened was, is that that really kind of created the modern environmental movement and in, in what it is today. And what they're caught up in is the uh, appeal to nature fallacy, which is, Basically, that whatever is natural is good, and whatever is unnatural must be bad. So, nuclear is bad, even though they don't realize it's very natural. Radiation <laughs> is a very natural thing. Yes. That, that just slips completely by them. Uh, GMOs, unnatural, uh, and you could go further than that. naturopathic medicine, opposition to uh, big pharma, which uh, it's it it even goes beyond environmentalism, so it's a. Um, that's pretty much the, uh, and, and it's a problem.
1: So yeah, they, oftentimes devolved into equating skepticism of technology, with environmentalism, which really kind of hinders our toolkit. Really,
0: that tends to be a common problem because, uh, you know, I, I when when I try to communicate science uh, with a lot of people, they'll often sort of frame a particular issue as being opposed to authority or being opposed to corruption. So they'll, it's not that they're, you know, they'll, they'll be naming nuclear technology, but they'll be thinking like, Oh, you really trust a private corporation who is only interested in profit to safely run a nuclear plant. Like there's this, 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 sort of link that they have in their mind where, uh, we can't trust the technology because it's being used by some other institution that they deem is inherently corrupt. So, um, that, that's certainly a, an obstacle to overcome.
2: Yes. I mean, that's part of the, uh, romance with renewables is that it's decentralized. You own your own, um, grid in your own home. Um, that's that's part of it. That's part of it. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's uh, one of the issues that I, I've certainly had with the environmental movement of today, um, and sort of. So, like, what would you say is uh, you know some of the other specific issues that you might have um, with the current environmental movement and how eco modernism is uh, provides a good alternative to that.
2: Well, I think I pretty much covered it. But I will say this, that it needs to be more than a philosophy. Ecomodernism needs to be more than something we just talk about. We need to be a movement. And that, by the way, is uh, why I have set up um, just recently the um, Ecomodernist Society of North America, which is an activist organization. And... By the way, there are eco-modernist societies in Europe. They're in Finland, and they're in several countries now. And they are forming a European eco-modernist society as well. And the thing is this: eco uh, environmentalism, the way it is now, it's like a microcosm of a lot of what goes on in politics and mm-hmm. the source of it is tribalism i always say this we have instincts we are not completely rational creatures far from it few of us are and even those people are uh, you know have to keep their emotions in check and try to be logical about things it's not an easy thing to do the thing about tribalism is this it it predates human nature. It, it goes back to the herd, the alpha male. When you go into the uh, gorillas and chimpanzees, that's, necess- that's a necessity in the wild to survive. You have to follow the leader. You have to uh, have group think. You have to, you know, you, you don't, you can't be different. You can't think different. So. That is important in the wild. And another thing that's important in the wild is, is that you can't think things completely through. You have to deal constantly in short term thinking. And you have to have, your fear levels is what protects you. In Neolithic times, if you're an animal in the jungle, if I'm going through the jungle or the forest or whatever, and I hear a lot of rustling in the bushes. I could think that well, maybe it's a lion and maybe it isn't, but I have to assume the worst. My fear takes over, so we are very fear prone by nature, and science on the other hand is, uh, is is far more bold than that, though they are careful and the thing is that our fears get the best of it when it comes to all of these things, and it takes over. And right. we haven't—we an, have an inordinate uh, fear of things. In reality, I mean, we think nothing about getting in a car and driving anywhere, and that's way worse than living in a, a near nuclear power plant. You know, even walking Absolutely. down the street safer.
1: So you would say maybe they've become a little bit more—I mean, a little bit too reactionary to things. Instead yes. of critical thinkers,
0: yes, there's evolutionary exp- explanations for that too. Because uh, especially with the tribalism, because if if you got you know exiled from your local tribe as you know hunter gatherer or something, that could be the equivalent of a death sentence. You know, you yes, you, and and so there, there's that you know evolutionary baggage of having a really extreme wiring to, to be part of the group and to like, uh, to seek approval and, and belonging to the group. Um, so that's, yeah. that's, that's something we have to contend with.
2: We do. We do. And, um, I'm going to tell you, there was an experiment that was done called the Ash experiment. I don't know if you guys ever heard of that. Uh, Solomon Ash, this is way back in, I think in the 1960s or maybe the late fifties. But what he did was he Took a group. He took a, he took a a group of people, and had them. He paid them to be actors, and what he did was had like put up uh, like three sticks, and you could obviously you know you could see. I mean, it's not three sticks. That you look at it's on paper, you know, and <laughs> know obviously like. <laughs> yeah, obviously one, st- one stick was obviously taller than the others. So you got to say which the tallest is. And so they put one person who was unsuspected in a group of, I think, nine other people. And everybody was picking the wrong stick. And 50% of the time, they just went right along with it. And it's been high as 75% of the time. And the thing is this, though. When they, and, and they did uh, compare it. They had the, you know, people uh, look at the sticks and check. And they even made sure that there was nobody around. People would get it 100%. So, you know, it wasn't even hard at all. Yeah. But a little variation on the experiment was this, is that when they put a second person in who gave the right answers, that number of wrong answers dropped precipitously. And the reason why I bring this up, and it connects to what I'm trying, you know, that I'm trying to do is that we need to be, on the ground in the environmental movement in big numbers because they are, they have groupthink and it's extremely powerful. I'll give you another example. Uh, I saw in the news about two weeks ago in Naples, Florida, they had the news people looking in the supermarket. Nobody, practically nobody was wearing a mask. I mean, this was a big supermarket and, and it was amazing. But the thing is, again, following, it, totally irrational, but everybody's following what everybody else is doing. And it was, you know, it, I guess that was a very right-wing area and people are, you know, you can't, you know, wearing a mask is a bad thing, you know? So, you know, people are like, they follow the herd. So what I'm saying is this, is that if the environmental movement is left to its own devices. You've got a lot of young people coming in. Mm. All of this mm-hmm. will be repeated. That supermarket will be repeated en masse. The prejudices against technology, against uh, GMOs and nuclear power, and all of that will persist unless and until we're there with an environmental message that is scientific.
1: Right. It's Great. It's kind of like the environmental movement is kind of lost direction and lost like a concrete focus. And we have to reintroduce that back into the movement with very straightforward scientific policies.
0: Yeah. And sometimes it's not just tribalism. Like the, sometimes it's actually just seeing the alternative and not really being aware that there's an alternative. Um yes. Like somebody is, might be, you know, completely unaware of how they've been lied to about nuclear, or how, like, they've been lied to about the limitations of intermittent renewables or X, Y, and Z. And just, just having the exposure to information is enough for them to, you know, update their beliefs. And, and you know, they aren't really intimidated by the tribalistic belonging as, as much as other people are. So I think that there's also an informational importance here, too. Absolutely. To
1: kind of focus more on the technology part of things and the specific technologies people are skeptical of. One is nuclear power. And if folks read more about eco-modernism, nuclear power is very, very critical to having the whole thing work, in my opinion. The whole message of eco-modernism, because it it gives us the the energy we need to do the incredible things needed uh, to save nature. That's what, what I think. But why do you think nuclear power is such a central part to the doctrine?
2: I don't understand what you – I don't understand that question. What, what are you saying? Is it central part to the solution? Is that what you're saying?
1: Oh, I'm saying why do you think nuclear power is so central to eco-modernism?
2: Oh, well, if you're going to have dense cities, you need dense power. You know, to uh, to run those cities. I mean, uh, basically, I mean, nuclear power is the cleanest, the safest, and the most reliable form of energy. Uh, it's it's exactly the opposite of what we've been told, and, and you know, it's it's simple as that. I mean, if you, if you're an environmentalist, you should be supporting nuclear power very strongly because, like the IPCC has said that, you know, they it's impossible, literally, to Decarbonize the planet without nuclear—it's just that simple.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the IPCC is the Intergovernmental Panel on Panel. Climate Change. So, yes. Uh, if listeners are wondering.
2: Yes. Yes, and I, I want to add something to this. I mean, you know, I could just be a, a, a nuclear activist, and I'm not knocking it. And I think that there's a place for it, definitely. But here's the thing. Ecomodernism is a general defense of science in general. Mm. It re- and the thing is, is that to me, GMOs and medicine are just as important as nuclear power. But in, it, it, it's just that like, you know, a lot of the people uh, I, in the nuclear community, I notice this in in a lot of different people in politics, they kind of get into one track, you know, and it's not good to be too much in one track. For example, I'll I'll tell you why I think that GMOs are just as important. The Aedes aegypti mosquito, big disease vector. Oh yeah, it it could be the carrier of of the next plague, and and I tell you, we we dodged a bullet with Ebola, by the way. We're well, lucky that Obama was president. I don't want to... Be. Multiple times. <laughs> yes. Uh, but anything like that that's passed on with the mosquitoes, God, man, that's like... It's like the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> it really is. You know, that's like an 80% death rate. I mean, it's horrible. So... The way to deal with it, the only really effective way to deal with it, is g- the gen- genetically modified mosquito, which is perfectly safe. I mean, the idea of the mosquito getting loose—you know—they always have this thing about the mosquito getting loose or this thing, getting, oh, these these fantasies, these these crazy fantasies that that they present, you know, in, in opposition to GMOs. It's it's really way flakier than the anti I think, but. Um, and that's going, you know, that's, that's going some, <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> really. And like another example, the GMO salmon, they are trying to make, have fish farms where the possibility of a superbug, which is the real threat that mankind faces is diminished because they, uh, don't have to use antibiotics or very little. Uh, In the uh, in the fish farming, and you know, you they're worried about the fish getting loose, and they're not even worried about the superbug getting loose. I mean, that's the real problem. You know, I mean, it's it's just crazy. I mean, and then of course you could go into environmental into the environmental area, especially climate change. I mean, the world is getting hotter. It's getting drier. We have new kinds of insect infestations brought on by climate change, and Plants can't evolve, you know, uh, you know over sh- very short periods of time to that. You know, the, the, the food that we eat will have to be genetically modified to deal with heat, more heat stress, to deal with less um, uh, water and things like that, you know. So, these are all, you know, these are all things. I could go into space too. In the area of space... I mean, you know, people always talk about the what is it? Degrowth is necessary because of limited resources on the planet. Well, we live in an infinite universe and all you got to do is is catch some asteroids and you got you got enough metal and everything and I mean, there's so much that we could do in space. I don't think that the future of mankind, I mean, not Within my generation or yours, or even our children or grandchildren, maybe, will be, you know, that deeply into space uh, to the point where the, you could have manufacturing, uh, and going on and and importing going on just like what's going on between America and China. But it will happen, you know, it will happen, and it'll yeah. be a necessity.
1: So you would say that nuclear power, along with the other technologies that is advanced by eco that's a defense of science and science is going to be ever more important to deal with the the environmental problems that we will face because of the climate issue. So it's it's a it's a defensive science where we need it the most.
2: Yes, in all areas, and not just nuclear. And I would add something about nuclear too. Eco modernism capable of defending nuclear power in a way that traditional pro-nuclear activism is not because we defend nuclear medicine. We we could talk about atomic rocketry. I mean nuclear Mm -hmm. power does not just those nuclear power plants. Nuclear energy has many many applications outside of producing energy absolutely and 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 we could talk about that and and the thing is this eco-modernism is a vision you know talk about nuclear is very wonky you know I mean when we talk in our circles I mean I hang out with you know pro-nuclear people and we could talk for hours and hours about the, you know, new scale and the MSRs and the molten salt and the, and the this and the dad, and you all get excited about it. But within our circle, that's exciting. But when you talk to the public, it's very wonky, you know, but if you present it in the context of science, science is a very, it's a very bold vision as opposed to the, the fear uh, the fearful vision of of environmentalism—it's something that people could grab onto. And if you want to if you want to make change, you need to have a real vision. You can't just be like wonky and and just talk about, you know, why nuclear is good as opposed to why it's bad. This is the vision of what nuclear could do. You know, take us into space, vertical farming, which is not possible really without nuclear power. Um, right. I could go on and on.
0: For sure, yeah, and I would also say, you know, there's there's the idea of growth uh, as as an um, alternative to the degrowther philosophy. They say that growth is bad for the planet, and you know it is true that we live in an infinite universe. But the same, the resources we have on Earth, if they're efficiently used, um, with they, that doesn't mean we have to degrowth. You can have dematerialization as a part of growth, meaning you make systems that use fewer resources to get a higher output of return. Um, and nuclear power is, is an excellent example of that GMOs. You can grow more food on less land using less water. Uh, so it's, it's not that, you know, I, I think one of the biggest problems with, uh, degrowth or mindsets is, is one that they, they don't actually understand the real consequences of trying to enforce something like that. But, uh, two, they don't really see the potential and, that we can have a better standard of living and elevate people out of poverty and elevate people to a higher standard of living and use fewer resources and and use resources in more sustainable ways. And we actually have to embrace science and technology to do that. And I I think that's one of the uh, core core values that really um, uh, I appreciate with eco-modernism.
1: It's a rebuke of the degrowth mindset because you hear – Over and over, like you cannot have infinite growth on a finite planet. And I think they make a mistake because we aren't talking about infinite growth of extraction and environmental degradation. We're talking about increased growth of economic standard of living, and that does not necessarily mean you're you're using more resources. Like you say, you could, if you're more, you can we can use this growth to be more efficient with our resources. It's a it's a different type of growth. It's not. Unlimited material growth—it's—it's it's well-being growth, really.
2: Oh Definitely. yeah.
0: Yep. And qualitative a, growth versus quantitative growth is—is is yeah. what I usually bring up when, when statements like that are made.
2: Yeah, people don't. People are like they're reading from a script. They're not really thinking yeah. this through <laughs> at all. Yeah. You know, they're not really thinking this through at all. And the thing is, right. if you're if you actually question people and you actually, you know, uh, break it down for them and, you know, just ask rhetorical questions, uh, they're going to come up flummoxed <laughs> their own selves eventually. Uh, the thing, the thing that I would add to this too, is that when you do that over Facebook, over the internet, it's so impersonal that like the id gets loose. I mean, me and Phil were talking about that. Um, uh, if you want to really convince people, you have to do it on the ground. You have to build relationships of trust mm. you know, to, to get people to believe that you're for real, that you are not a shill, that you're someone who has the same goals and the same aspirations as they do, but you're just kind of analyzing things a, a bit better you know
0: yeah although i i have been accused of being a shill in person <laughs> multiple <laughs> times but I, i'm a certified um, shill too <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah you're, you you bring up a valid point though because there, you know back to the tribalism and that there's this uh sort of problem with this extreme division and and bitterly opposing party lines that uh, definitely is is very visible on platforms like Facebook. So um, just from an uh, informational standpoint, would you say that like the philosophy of eco-modernism is is a good way to circumvent this?
2: Well, uh, yes, I think so. I think so. I, I think our biggest problem is that you know people are we don't have enough people who take an active role donate uh even participate uh in general you know people kind of leave it you know they they um everybody's kind of in their worlds and you know you know just talking about it on facebook is not enough
1: slacktivism is what they call it what is it called uh slacktivism or hashtagtivism <laughs>
0: Yeah, but yeah. I've gone to NRC hearings, you know, spoken at protest events, went out, talked to people. It's it, I agree. It's, you know, the Internet is a great place to learn and, you know, at least get information out. But uh, there there definitely is a value to having one on one interactions with people in the real world. And they can see you're a real person with the same uh, goals and stuff. Um, and yeah, I think. uh when I sort of engage with people, like I, there, there seems to be this in, in the dominant mainstream political philosophy, there seems to be, you know, like the traditional conservative, like climate change isn't a problem or it's not real, or, you know, there's, there's sort of a downplaying of the severity of climate change where, um, you know, there's, there's the problematic left where there's this anti-nuclear thing, but they admit climate change is a problem. Um, and, and I sort of see this, Bizarre division where there's like one one group that kind of denies the problem and one group that denies the solution, and I, I think that nuclear energy, you know, is is one way to circumvent that and sort of bridge the divide. And I see eco modernism on the uh, you know as a broader philosophy that incorporates a lot of issues to uh, have similar values on on other issues as well.
1: Yeah, I, I feel eco modernism can actually get you know, people on the left and the right to agree on certain things in principle. Um, because like you've said, Gabe, eco-modernism is a is a vision that kind of transcends the political bickering, you know? Yes. Well, um, moving on, do you think you could tell us what you got you personally so interested in eco-modernism and its movement?
2: Well, I mean, I could go back to what converted me was uh, that movie. Uh, what was that movie? Uh, what was that? From? You know the movie. I'm, it's it's Pandora's Promise. Ah, uh, yes, Pandora's Promise. <laughs> Flip my tongue. That's what got me. That's what got me. Uh, opened me up to nuclear power. But I'll say, in terms of eco modernism, I it, it always intrigued me right from the time of the manifesto. Even even though I, I really. Uh, didn't have an understanding about nuclear power, but I did have a – I've always been an open-minded person, so I wanted to see if there's a better way. You know, when somebody says I have a better way, I, I kind of I, – my ears perk up. And mm-hmm. what really um, got me very fired up to start the eco Society was uh, I'm in 350 uh, South Florida. It's part of three hundred and fifty dot org, and there was this letter uh, by of six hundred organizations with all kinds of demands that they were making that were really uh, pretty crazy.
0: I know the one you're talking about.
2: Yes, <laughs> yes, and I I said to my, you know, I am on the board of three hundred and fifty. You know, I spoke with the board and I tried to to get them. To kind of put some resistance to this thing, and I wasn't successful. And the thing is that you know they they, they don't want to make waves. You know, they, they actually agreed with me, but they don't want to make waves. You know, they they want they get their funding from three hundred and fifty, blah blah blah, and everything. And you know, they're nice people, but I I don't. Sometimes you got to take a stand, you know. Absolutely. Uh, and this this letter demanded uh, a halt to nuclear energy. Uh, biomass energy um, it said that the uh, any market based mechanism was uh, they were vigorously opposed to the extent they said that if this these kinds of things were in climate legislation that they would actually oppose the climate legislation and that is what yeah. really got under my skin because I spent decades fighting global warming and we're going to finally get some kind of action on climate and you're going to oppose it because it doesn't fit your little, uh Purity test. Purity test. Exactly. Impossible purity test. Impossible purity test. Oh, dams as well. Hydro.
0: Yeah. Large hydro they opposed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and, you know, and then they mean, said small hydro had to be, you know, under some, like whatever bizarre regulations they had in mind.
1: And I I've mean, also even heard he,
2: people like, yeah. go ahead.
1: Oh, I've also like, Bernie Sanders for his for being very concerned about climate change uh, on his uh, platform, like wrote how nuclear is a false solution, and part of me is like, where, where, where did you? How can you say that? Like it's, it just, it, it mind boggles me.
2: Well, Bernie Sanders is an old hippie from Vermont. Actually, from Brooklyn True. by way of Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> and he he, he just uh, he he kind of sticks to that trope but that's a dangerous trope in terms of uh, uh because you know you talk about the energy Venda in germany right i mean total disaster i mean they yeah. leave not just europe but the whole world in the price of electricity because mm. of shutting down nuclear power it's not it's not as, you know, I mean, the, the, you know, people will say, oh, you know, the, the, the solar panels are so cheap. But I mean, it's, it's not that simple. You know, yeah. it's, it's a mess. They, they uh, led the EU in death from colds, I think, I think, for many, many years. It's kind of a race between them and Poland, I think. But um, horrible. And they spent a half a trillion euros. I mean, if we ever did that. I mean, that would be the end of the Democratic Party. I mean, Donald Trump or his heirs would would be in control for God knows how long after a debacle like that. There would be no kind of climate solutions. And I will say this too. People realize the total waste of money this is, and they're afraid of voting for progressives. And they're afraid of even voting for Democrats because of that. You know, yeah, and so they—they are—I uh, don't know. They're, it's, it's self-defeating, right from the start.
1: Though so disclaimer, we are—we uh, try to stay politically neutral, but yeah. we get what you're saying.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can't—you can't leave politics totally out of this. You know, I mean, I—I I try to be not bipartisan. You know, with them. well, you know, whatever. I mean, we need to be bipartisan for this, though. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean. I I don't want to get tribal about that with people, you know.
0: And I say hey, I'll, you know, build a plant that can run itself, provide reliable electricity, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, get a return on that investment, and also fight climate change at the same time. That's that's why nuclear is so important to this Brid- bridge the divide and check all the boxes. And,
1: yeah, and I can I can definitely see why. Personally, you you kind of you've learned about these technologies, and you kind of see how the traditional environmental movement starts to reject science. And then you kind of start looking at eco-modernism and just like, dang, there's really something here, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, uh, you're, you're currently starting this new organization called the Eco-Modernist Society of North America. Um, can you tell us more about it and you know the inspiration behind it?
2: Well, I kind of, yeah. I mean, the inspiration was, like I said, um, it has to be done. You know, it's just something that has to be done. And so, and nobody else is doing it. So I, I said, well, I got to step up then. That's it. So, yep. you know, I formed it. We, we've already started. We've, uh, we've got a, uh, it's not big right now, but we're trying to uh, slowly get big. You know, we're working on getting things together. We, we meet every Saturday. Um, it's at two o'clock Eastern time, eleven o'clock Pacific time, and seven o'clock at um, uh, G- 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 Greenwich time. And okay. um, yeah, and uh, we talk a lot about business, but we're, we're going to get away from that a bit because I'm going to start having uh, our uh, get-togethers earlier, so we could take care of business and then kind of just talk with each other. But we're really trying to organize and get things together slowly but surely. Uh, and, um, you know, we would yeah, make Europe, change here. The
1: Europeans have quite a few groups, and we're kind of lacking that here in North America. So it's good yeah, it's to nothing. get that going.
0: So, so what would uh, becoming a member entail? Um, so like if someone was interested in joining and getting involved, how, how would they go well, about right that?
2: Well, uh, right now, uh, we have not yet set up any dues. We've decided that we just want to leave it wide open. So there's no official membership as of yet. Uh, the reason being that you know it's it's better to get uh, some kind of momentum and popularity before uh, asking people for for money. You know, in terms right. of that. So we're we're to we just kind of taking it slow. You know, in, in that in that respect, you know,
1: where, uh, where do people find like links to meetings?
2: Yeah, our website, which is uh, kind of it's, – it's there. We, we, we're still working on it, but it's still good enough to look at. It's um, ESNA.EARTH. Now, ESNA stands for Ecomodernist, E, Society S, of N for North and, of course, America, A. ESNA, E-S-N-A, Ecomodernist Society of North America. Um, it's, it's ESNA.EARTH. Is the website Earth. Okay. If you if you want to contact me, Eco Modernist Society at ESNA.Earth Earth is. Um, you, could, you know that's my that that's our email.
1: You'll probably find that on the on the website too. Yeah. Well, we've we've talked a lot, and we have a lot more to talk about. Uh, this is kind of open conversation now. Um,
0: sure. But yeah, I like what you brought up about how. You know, it it can be very difficult for one person to stand out against a whole crowd, um, and this is an interesting thing that you mentioned in, in those uh, line experiments. If there's just one other person in the room, like going with you know the true answer, then that sort of gives provides the comfort for that other one person uh, to, you know, also align with the right answer. And I think there was a, a pretty entertaining TED talk about 10 years ago. I don't know if you saw this, but um, it was the, uh, the dancing guy at a festival. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So there's one guy dancing and he, he's. Having... So, yeah, we were talking about the uh, dancing man at the festival and you know this was one guy, and he 's you know dancing having a, uh, having a blast, and uh, nobody 's really joining him there 's a bunch of people around him sitting and just enjoying the music and he 's dancing for a while, but then one other person joins him, and they like once you have two people dancing it, it seems to just exponentially increase how how many people join and you know another person joins, and another group of friends join and before you know it, there's, you know, everybody in the frame is, is dancing and having, having a blast. And, uh, I think that's a a pretty good symbol of, uh, you know, how, how humans can be, where, you know, you might provide the alternative and, you know, you might seem fringe or like an outlier to, to the mainstream, uh, ideology or, uh, you know, narrative as far as policy goes. And as long as you provide that alternative and, and you communicate with people and you state your case and, uh, show the values of of why it's important to uh, support that alternative. Um, then you can enable that exponential growth if if everything's lined up. So I think it's really good that you're doing this.
1: Yeah, and I, and we would say uh, another cool thing is when I go to some like climate marches, you know, to to build a repertoire with people instead of just through the interwebs. Um, you show up with a sign that says we need nuclear power. And then that gets a conversation started. And then it's that snowballing effect, kind of like you were talking about, Colby, where, you know, you have someone else that joins the conversation and just like, wait a second, I actually heard something good about nuclear power and you can kind of get that, that, that new idea going. So.
0: Absolutely. I've been, uh, I've been noticing it just in the last five years, like five years ago, I, when I really started pushing for nuclear um, it felt like you know I was just alone in my social groups, sort of talking about it. But over the last five years, it's just been an explosion, and people outwardly speaking up for nuclear, supporting it, uh, especially in you know my generation and the younger generation, where we're really embracing it now. And it's it's not something that the traditional green movement can ignore anymore.
2: Good, maybe like a, it's like a youth rebellion against their uh, elders. <laughs>
0: i I've definitely yeah I, I can I can definitely see that and it's and
1: that's why I think the ideas of eco modernism like as long as we get out there and talk about them that's that's the only way forward really
2: yeah i I'd tell you uh i one thing i one trope that I hate is there are no technological solutions you guys have heard of that
1: oh <laughs> <Yeah>. constantly. <laughs> Oh it's it's all it's all just it's all just a if we as long as we draft the right policy, it'll magically get
2: fixed. Yeah, I mean I like technology. You know we get into discussions sometimes on the internet groups about is the electric car a good thing? And guys will say Oh, because of this data and that data and then and the other one say this data and that data to oppose that, you know, and there's this back and forth. And there's something that gets lost in the source there. And this is true of, so, of technology in general, that there's an evolution taking place. When you speak of the electric car, it is a something that's in progress. So... It's like talking about if a baby is useful, you know.
1: Mm, yeah, it, it really yeah. is.
2: It's exactly what. And, and I, I'm just using an example of the electric car. You know, carbon capture and storage. Uh, you can name it. Golden know, a lot rice these, is a
0: good example of this too.
2: Golden, yeah, all of that. I mean, the
0: people who were opposing if, golden rice, they kept quoting like the prototype, the first version, saying you need to eat twenty cups of it to get your vitamin A level for the day, and like that you know, they were still using that argument when, you know, you get your vitamin A level from just like one cup of it. It was, yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, so I I think, I think you have to always uh, look at technology in the long view. I mean, the only, the only, there are exceptions to this. I mean, it's not a total thing. I mean, Uh, uh, fossil fuels (laughs) needs to go. Yeah, that that's really a thing, and AI too. I mean, the military use of AI scares me. You know, so I mean, it's not a total thing about technology. It's all wonderful. I mean, we should be mm. still be looking at it critically, but at the same time, right. as a whole, it it's what is needed to save uh, uh, the planet.
1: Right, and what kind of bothers me is is oftentimes the traditional environmental movement says there's no there's no technological solution but yet they'll say oh but we have one it's called wind and solar and it's like don't you kind of see how you're 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 not being consistent here and i think that's very powerful uh, right to po- yet yeah. yeah, to point out the inconsistencies or the double standards because if, if people start hearing about the double standards they start to be like yeah that's not really fair is it you know
0: or they'll yeah. they'll even take it a step further like right on the nose where you know they'll say oh well that's that's just wind and solar right now you know solar panels are only going to get more efficient but uh, you know they're saying that in response to the problem with intermittency and like intermittency can't be solved with an increase in conversion efficiency but there, of course we'll never solve the waste
2: <laughs> we'll never solve the waste problem <laughs> that'll never happen <laughs> But but uh we're gonna get solar you
0: know, that's yeah. Yeah, we can recycle solar panels, but you can't recycle spent fuel. Yeah, no, That's
2: <laughs>
1: it's an it's an unsolvable problem.
2: Um,
0: <laughs> you know, yeah. And also get into it with the uh you know first of a kind versus nth of a kind. You know, that they, they wanna judge nuclear shortcomings by like ancient reactor technology and you know, from right. another industry entirely. They don't wanna address anything with the new reactors or you know the potential for future reactors even
2: yep absolutely
1: yeah and just just nuclear and technology just offers so much hope to the problems and it's just it's it, it does smell of anti-science rhetoric to be like oh let's just totally disregard a technology so um
2: I don't have to say the arguments are so ridiculous. It's just mind boggling, you know?
0: Yeah, we do have to stand up for science and, you know, stand up for technology as, as a responsible use. Because, um, you know, no matter what the policy is written, you're not going to you know, eradicate polio without a polio vaccine like that.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: I'll try to, you know, cite some historical examples of why that argument just completely doesn't work.
2: And you you know something too. I this is psychology that keeps these kind of things going, and it is groupthink. And and going back to groupthink, and here's the thing, especially when you're in a movement, you know, political movement, we want harmony within the group. We don't want you know we because that makes us stronger in terms of getting our goals achieved. That's true, by the way. Yeah. So, in order to do that, we don't talk about certain things. Because, and the exact things that we don't talk about are the things that need to be talked about the most. Because they are controversial. And uh, the reason they are controversial uh, quite often is because there's really something that needs to break through or out into the open. Uh, And uh, break down prejudices. And you can't really make real progress unless you break through those prejudices.
1: You can't have progress if you can't see past a stigma and really talk about it so you can actually solve things.
0: Yeah, you got to put it on the table. You got to, you got to. It's funny. It's kind of like the Thanksgiving dinner assumed rules. Like don't bring up the stuff that'll start an argument. Like don't bring politics into Thanksgiving dinner. But when you're actually in political groups, you know, they're they're sort of following the same rules and that's just very self-defeating because you got to be able to be bold and, you know, address contradicting information, put it on the table, test the claims, challenge the claims and, and see how to move forward. Well, thank you for joining us. It's uh, been a great talk, and uh, we hope to have you on again sometime.
2: Well, thank you very much for having me.
0: For sure. All right. Well, we'll talk to you later.
1: I really like talking to Gabe. He's always so enthusiastic and has such a good demeanor. He brings so much to the conversation. I could not imagine a better person to advocate for eco-modernism.
0: Yeah, it's great to see a well-informed environmental activist willing to interact with the traditional environmental movement that needs to be better informed about the science and technology. So what was your takeaway from the conversation?
1: What I found most valuable about our conversation is the futurist vision Gabe has when it comes to the environment. I believe it's a fairly wrong-headed idea to see humans as working in harmony with nature as if we're going to give up a great standard of living in industrialized civilization in order to live a more sustainable life, simply subsisting. Gabe mentioned how oftentimes people in the environmentalist movement are somewhat hostile towards technology. That is a shame since technology is advancing the conditions of mankind and it would be bad for the poorest among us if we rejected it. Gabe has the courage to stand up for technology and modernity. What are your thoughts, Colby?
0: Well, I'm glad we covered the importance of providing an alternative to the dominant narrative in environmentalism. There's so much psychological rigidity that can entrap people into thinking about an issue from only one perspective and not permitting an honest questioning of that narrative. Ecomodernism is able to reframe the concept of environmentalism, to be welcoming towards science, technology, and economic prosperity for all. It would be nice to see Ecomodernism grow as a movement to become the dominant philosophy of protecting the environment and people. Absolutely,
1: we need more people to spread the word about the philosophy of eco modernism. I urge listeners who are interested to read the Eco Modernist Manifesto and to reach out to Gabe to become a member of the Eco Modernist Society of North America. It's just what the planet needs right now and could refresh environmentalism.
0: Sure. Well, this episode was quite fun, and we want to thank Gabriel Ignetti for talking to us. This has been Eco Modernism. Join the movement. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard and want more content, you can support Americans for Nuclear Energy's Climate Fix podcast on a per episode basis with Patreon, link in the description. To support Americans for Nuclear Energy and our general mission, visit our website at www.americansfornuclearenergy.org. All words, again, that's www.americansfornuclearenergy.org. We have a link to donate with PayPal under the Mobilize page. You can also purchase some Americans for Nuclear Energy swag under our store page. This will really help us pay for the little things, especially online service fees, to keep our organization running. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube. Lastly, we really want your feedback. Let us know your thoughts, questions, and concerns. We have a message form on our website under the About section. Or you can email us directly at main at org. All words. Again, that's Maine at Americans for Nuclear Energy.org. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Americans for Nuclear Energy's Climate Fix Podcast. We'll see you next time.
1: Edited and produced by Jonna Adams.